And so let's give all the moms a big hand, man. We're just grateful for them. I'm grateful for Tina. I remember, <laughs> I remember when we had our first, uh, when we had David, you know, and uh, you know, I just, I loved him so much. And I remember a couple of months into it, somebody goes, they, Tina and I are standing there, they go, does he sleep all through the night? And I go, he does. And she goes, he doesn't. And so, <laughs> true story. I mean, it's like, he's not sleeping through the night. You, you are, but yeah, he's not. So, but thank you for being a quiet crier. And so, um, it helped me, helped me get my rest. Um, I like to, you know, first of all, let's do this. Let's just give all the moms a big hand. Let them know we're glad they're here. Tell them thank you. And let's do this to any, any of the ladies, maybe that uh, biologically are not there, but I mean, you just, you, we just know you. you've been a mother to somebody else. Let's give them a hand too as well and just say thank you. And so I'd like to share a couple of things. One is, is that, um, uh, just if you joke, so anyway, this, this mom, I mean, this daughter says to her mom, Mom, what's it like to have the greatest daughter in the world? And the mom said, I don't know. You'll have to ask Grandma. And so, uh, <laughs> and then what, what three words solve every dad's problem? Ask your mother. And uh, we, we do that well, right? So here's how, and uh, I like to tell you every year how Mother's Day began in the United States. Mother's Day was first suggested in 1872 by Julia Ward. I'm, I'm sorry, by Julia Ward Howe, who wrote the words of the Battle Hymn of the Republic. As a day dedicated to peace... Ms. Howe would hold organized Mother's Day meetings in Boston, Massachusetts every year. In 1907, Anna Jarvis from Philadelphia began a campaign to establish a national Mother's Day. Ms. Jarvis persuaded her mother's church in Grafton, West Virginia, to celebrate Mother's Day on the second anniversary of her mother's death, the second Sunday of May. By the next year, Mother's Day was also celebrated uh, in, in Philadelphia. Ms. Jarvis and her supporters began to write to ministers, businessmen, and politicians in their quests to establish a National Mother's Day. It was successful as by 1911, Mother's Day was celebrated in almost every state. President Woodrow Wilson in 1914 made the official announcement proclaiming Mother's Day as a national holiday that was to be held each year on the second Sunday of May. He established the day as a time for public expression of our love and reverence for the mothers of our country. By then it had become customary to wear white carnations to, to honor departed mothers and red to honor the living, a custom that continues to this day. So this is what we spend on Mother's Day. Uh, overall, $26.7 billion is spent on Mother's Day. Isn't that wild? For that, for, or for Mother's Day. $4.6 billion is spent on jewelry. Don't tell my wife that. She doesn't know you can get jewelry on Mother's Day. 77% um, give cards. 69% give flowers. 55% are taken out to eat. The average we spend on moms is $204.70 per mom. Again, don't tell my wife that number. Anyway, $204.70 per mom. More on flowers than any holiday except Christmas or Hanukkah. Um, and then it says this, the pampering is probably well-deserved. The in insured.com's Mother's Day Index, which assigns an annual salary to the work that moms do at home, was valued at $93,920. That represents a 32% increase uh, because of all the extra work moms have had to do during the coronavirus pandemic. So you guys, you just rock it. Here's some quotes. I've showed these before, but... They just rocked my world. Uh, Abraham Lincoln said this. He said, I remember my mother's prayers, and they have always followed me. They have clung to me all my life. Isn't that powerful? Thomas Edison uh, was at one time referred to as addled by one of his teachers. His mom was so furious that she went down to the school and confronted the teacher and administration about the comment. She was not at all pleased with the response she got, which is what prompted Edison to be removed from the school and homeschooled by his mother. Edison, who was aware of what happened, said this about his mother in later years. 
My mother was my mother was the making of me. She was so true, so sure of me, and I felt I had something to live for, someone I must not disappoint. That's powerful. There was a guy named Robert Ingersoll, and he was a skeptic to Christianity. He would go around and lecture and try to uh, try to dissuade people from becoming Christians. And uh, he was in his heyday, and he'd lectured, and these two college students went to hear him lecture. And as they walked down the street after the lecture, one said to the other, well, I guess he knocked the props out from under Christianity, didn't he? And the other said, no, I don't think he did. He did not explain my mother's life, and until he can explain my mother's life, I will stand by my mother's God. Such a powerful statement, yeah. Booker T. Washington said this, in all my efforts to learn to read, my mother shared fully my ambition and sympathized with me and aided me in every way she could. If I've done anything in life worth attention, I feel sure that I inherited the disposition from my mother. One lady said, before becoming a mother, I had a hundred theories on how to bring up children. Now I have seven children and only one theory. Love them, especially when they least deserve to be loved. And so moms, you leave a lasting impact on us. My, mom, uh, my mother's been gone coming up on 13 years, and her handprints are still in my heart and will forever be. Let's give them one more hand and say thank you to them. You know, I want to talk to you, it's, it's going to be, a, a, this is a uniquely different Mother's Day message than I've given. And again, my, my goal is always to speak to moms, to communicate to you, but also to share principles and things of that nature that will apply to you, whether you're a mother or not, whether you're, you know, I mean, uh, you know, to, to the dads out there, to the men out there, that this will speak to you. To, uh, you know, so that, that's my goal. Uh, and it'll have an element of just, it'll be kind of weighty just because it just deals with some challenges that maybe you're experiencing, you know, first to moms and then that type of thing. But I want to give you hope in those challenges. And so, um, are you ready to get started? Yeah. yeah, well, grab hold of your Bible and say this with me. Say, this is my Bible. I have what it says I have. I can do what it says I can do. I declare this morning, my mind is alert. My heart is receptive. I'll be taught the Word of God. And I'll never be the same again. Open up your Bibles, if you would, to Genesis 16. If you're still learning your way around the Bible, know that there's an Old Testament and a New Testament. And Genesis is in the Old Testament. It's the very first book of the Bible. People say, what's the difference? Well, the Old Testament is before Jesus uh, came to the earth. It was people living under the law. The New Testament is from Jesus' entry to the earth from that time on. So Genesis 16, there was a man thousands of years ago, many of you are familiar with him, his name, is, his name was Abram initially, his wife was Sarai, and he served God and he had an encounter with God and God told him that they were going to have a baby. Well, it had been a long time, it had been years and they still had not seen that promise come to pass. And so just like me and you, you know, they, would, they got discouraged and, and frustrated and impatient. And so his wife came to him one day and said, here's my handmaid, maybe God's going to fulfill his promise, you know, through you and her. And so we're going to pick up with that in Genesis 16, Verse 4, let's start there. It says, so, so Abram had sexual relations with Hagar, and she became, um, she became pregnant. But when Hagar knew she was pregnant, she began to treat her mistress Sarai with contempt. Then Sarai said to Abram, this is all your fault. I put my servant into your arms, but now that she's pregnant, she treats me with contempt. The Lord will show who's wrong, you or me. Abram replied, look, she is your servant. So deal with her as you see fit. Then Sarai treated Hagar so harshly that she finally ran away. Everybody say ran away. 
So, you know, here's, here's the thing that, that we have to see is that, um, is that with Hagar, that, that she, was, she was pregnant, and yet during the time of this pregnancy, that she was treated so badly that she left. She left her support circle, and she was in this particular season, during part of this season, she was uh, initially having to deal with this pregnancy on her own. And I know that, you know, it can just, it can feel hugely challenging whenever you're having to deal with something that was not intended for you to carry by yourself, a load that you were intended to have help with. That can be an incredible challenge. It's interesting, you know, Hagar, her name is now, my friend Blaine Bartelli said this at Awaken, he said that one of the meanings of her name is stranger, and that is true. I looked it up, it's stranger, but she has another meaning for her name, and the other meaning for the name Hagar is forsaken, forsaken. And I want to speak to just a minute for any of you moms in here, for anybody in here, that you feel like you've been forsaken, that you're, you're having to do this on your own. And the weight of it can just be so huge, you can feel inadequate, you can feel, you know, it, 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 you could feel even sometimes maybe even angry or disappointed or like a failure. You could feel forsaken. You can relate probably to Hagar. And that is, is that I'm, I'm having to do this by myself, whatever, whatever your circumstances are. And that can be a huge weight to have on us, to feel that. And so here she is. She's in this place. She's left on her own. But let's keep reading there. It says this. The angel of the Lord found Hagar beside a spring of water in the wilderness along the road to Shur. The angel said to her, Hagar, Sarai's servant, where have you come from and where are you going? And then he goes on to say, and then she goes on to say, I'm running away from my mistress Sarai, she replied. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her authority. Then he added, I will give you more descendants than you can count. And the angel also said, you are now pregnant and will give birth to a son. You're to name him Ishmael, which means God hears, for the Lord has heard your cry of distress. Let, let, let's skip down to verse 13. It says, Thereafter, Hagar used another name to refer to the Lord who had spoken to her. She said, You are the God who sees me. You are the God who sees me. She also said, Have I truly seen the one who sees me? It's interesting throughout the Old Testament. That all of these names are given for God. He's called Jehovah Rapha, which means, you know, the Lord our healer. Uh, you know, he's, he's called um, Jehovah Shalom, which means the Lord our peace. He's just different names, and, and they're covenant names, but they also reflect oftentimes whatever an individual was going through. And God would show up, that God would reveal himself in that place of need or desperation. And so... These are different names, you know, that God referred to himself in, with Abraham as El Shaddai, which means, you know, the, the mighty one, the all-sufficient one, the one who nourishes. But for her, the thing that she needed was to know in this moment of feeling alone, of feeling like she was on her own, that she needed to have that sense that God sees her. And God showed up, and so for her, he was the God who sees me. And I, I want to give you hope today to know this, that if, if you can identify with Hagar, if you, can, if you feel like that you're in this by yourself, that you're in this alone, I want to show that God sees you. Number one, if you're taking notes, to the mom parenting alone, God sees you. And, and he's not just a spectator. 
He says, I'm just watching you, hoping that you'll do well, cheering you on. No, he sees you. He, he, he wants to be involved, and he even you know, can, he communicated you know, through the angel his plan for Hagar and for her son Ishmael, what, he, what the plan that he had for them was. And so he sees, you know, sometimes it's good for us just to close our eyes when we feel alone, when we feel like our circle is, is not there, or we feel invisible or on our own, or, or like Hagar's name implies, forsaken, abandoned. That sometimes we just have to close our eyes and just say, the Lord's with me, and he's helping me. The Lord's with me, and he's helping me. Let's, sit around, let's close our eyes, and you just say this, just, especially those of you that whatever you're going through, you just feel kind of alone right now. Just say this, say, the Lord's with me. Say that again, say, the Lord's with me. And say this, and he's helping me. Let's say this, the Lord's with me. And he's helping me. Sometimes we have to remind ourselves of that. We can, we can feel invisible to our family, to our friends, and, and you know, all of a sudden just abandoned. And, you know, and sometimes that, you know, the devil will come along or maybe our circumstances will yell at us that you're in this by yourself. And, and it's good just to say out loud to remind ourselves that the Lord's with me. And he's not just with me. He's not just, he doesn't just see me, but he's helping me. So I want to give you hope today. If you feel alone, you're not in this alone. You're not in this on your own. God, he's the God that sees you. He's the God that saw Hagar. He, he saw her, and he helped her. And so number one is this, to the mom's parenting alone, God sees you. Let's look at number two, if you would. Go with me to Ruth. It's still in the Old Testament. Um, it is the eighth book. So there's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, and then Ruth. And we'll start with Ruth chapter one. Ruth is such a, it's such a great book. It's, a his, it's, it's historically documented things, but it's related to God's plan. And Ruth had a mother-in-law named Naomi. And so Naomi lost her husband, and several years later, she lost her sons, and, and she felt alone. And so we'll pick up, and we'll kind of explain as we go in Ruth chapter 1, verse 3 through 5. It says, Then Elimelech died, and Naomi was left with her two sons. The two sons married Moabite women, one married a woman named Orpah, and the other a woman named Ruth. But about 10 years later, both Malon and Kilon died, and this left Naomi alone. Everybody say alone. Without her two sons or her husband. So here's Naomi, and she's lost her husband, and she's lost her sons. Go down to verse 19. It says this. Uh, so on, the, on their journey there, Ruth, is, she says to her daughter-in-law, she said, look, you guys, you need to go live your life. I don't have, you know, I can't give you any more sons, and so you don't need to follow me. And the one daughter-in-law loved her, and she wept, but she left. But Ruth said, I'm not going to leave you. And Ruth, Ruth tried, I'm sorry, Naomi tried to dissuade her from coming along, but Ruth said, no, matter of fact, she said, I'm, I'm going to, I'll not leave you, I'll not forsake you, I'll go where you go, your God will be my God, and when, where you live, I'll live, and where you die, I'll die. And so Naomi realized that Ruth's not going, so, so they, were gonna, they were journeyed back to Naomi's hometown. And so when Naomi comes to town, people recognize her. Hey, it's Naomi. They're so excited to see her. And so in verse 19, it says, so the two of them continued on their journey. When they came to Bethlehem, the entire town was excited by their arrival. Is it really Naomi? The women asked. Don't call me Naomi, she responded. Instead, call me Mara. 
for the Almighty has made my life very bitter for me. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me home empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has caused me to suffer and the Almighty has sent such tragedy upon me? I want to talk to the moms today that have experienced an element of loss. Whatever that looks like. And loss is painful. Sometimes there's some loss you can experience that it's an exclusive club that nobody knows what you feel unless they've had that loss. And there can be such an ache in your heart that sometimes you can feel hopeless, desperate. You can feel like your life is over. And sometimes it's not the loss of an individual, but maybe the loss of a dream. Maybe an unanswered prayer for you. And sometimes those things can feel like that they're connected to your life and to God's purpose or, or God's plan for your life. And, you know, I, I think Naomi here, is, she experienced the loss of her, of her husband and her two sons. When she comes back, they're so excited to see her that she even changed her name to where it means bitter. My life has been bitter as of late. Some of you may connect with her right now. That when you think about the last year or the last few years or, or maybe your just whole adult life, that just what you've experienced gives you this feeling of just having this, the pain that that loss has created causes you to think like she did, and that is, my life's just bitter now. It's, I get it. I understand how we can experience things that get us to that place. Naomi, this woman of God, was at that place. You know, and, it, and it's just this loss caused her to describe her life as, my life's just bitter. But it's interesting, Naomi, as she lived her life, even she dealt with that pain, and in that bitterness, in that, in that hard, incredibly hard season and time in her life, that she still had Ruth in her life, and she engaged with what was going on in Ruth's world. I'm sure it would have been easy to withdraw and pull back and, and to just isolate herself completely and forever be disengaged from what was going on around her. But even in her pain, she, she stayed engaged with what Ruth was doing, and, and Ruth didn't understand the culture of those people there. And, and Ruth met a man that was later on going to become her husband, but there were the way things were done in that moment, in that season. That Ruth didn't understand, so Naomi, Naomi would help her, and she would say, now you do this, and now you do that. And, and as time went on, that all the things that Naomi kept telling Ruth to do engaged Ruth with this man more and more, with this man named Boaz. And so we skip to chapter 4, and in verse 13 it says this, So Boaz took Ruth into his home, and she became his wife. When he slept with her, the Lord enabled her to become pregnant. And she gave birth to a son. Then the woman of the town said to Naomi, Praise the Lord who has now provided a redeemer for your family. May this child be famous in Israel. May he restore your youth and care for you in your old age. For he is the son of your daughter-in-law, who loves you and has been better to you than seven sons. Naomi took the baby and cuddled him to her breast. And she cared for him as, he, as if he were her own. And the neighbor women said, Now at last Naomi has a son again. And they named him Obed. He became the father of Jesse and the grandfather of David. I can imagine whenever Naomi had experienced loss in her world that she probably thought that that was it. That she was going to live out the rest of her days in grief and in pain and this bitter, bitterness that she had experienced that felt like it would never go away. But there was something in her that even in that, before it left, 
And who knows if it ever left. But God still used her. Used her to the point that she had an impact on Ruth's life. And that the baby that Ruth had, that, uh, that they, named him, um, they named him Obed. And he had, Obed grew up and he had a little boy named Jesse. And Jesse grew up and he had a son named David. And David, not only did he become king, but he was part of the lineage of Jesus. I can only imagine Naomi at this one season in her life thinking that, you know, everything that I've loved, everything that I've held dear, the things that matter most to me, they're no longer there. And it would be so easy to give up. It'd be so easy to withdraw and forever isolate yourself and just let your heart just live in brokenness for the rest of your life. But even in her brokenhearted season, in her brokenhearted state, she continued she continued to invest in Ruth's life, and God revealed to her that even in her pain, that he had more for her. I want to say this number two is this. To the mom who's experienced loss, God's not finished with you. He's not finished with you. There's more things that he has for your life. And you say, well, why, why has this happened? Why has that happened? And a lot of times the best answer I can give is, I don't know. But I know that God's not done with you, that he has more for you. So first of all, we know this, that you're, God sees you. And second of all, God's not finished with you. He has more for you. This third thing, and we'll close with this. Go with me, if you would, to 1 Samuel chapter 1. You're in Ruth, and 1 Samuel is just a few books over. Um, actually, it's right after Ruth. 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 26. There was a lady named Hannah, and she wanted to have a baby. And it was one of those things that was just, it was so heavy upon her that one day she went to the, to the synagogue, to the temple, and she was praying, and she was so distraught in her prayer, so overcome, that the priest heard her praying, and he didn't know she was praying. He thought, she's drunk. You know, it'd be like, you came to church drunk, and you're here. What's wrong? You know, so anyway, so he goes to her, and he said, have you, have you been drinking? And she says, oh, no, no, no. She said, well, just basically, my heart's burdened. I've, I'm asking God for a child. And so, you know, the, the priest, uh, Eli, basically said, you know, let, let God give you, what, you know, what, what it is that you're praying for. And so God heard her prayer. She ended up having a son. And so she came back in 1 Samuel 1, verse 26, after she had a son, it says, Says she came to back to the temple and she said to Eli, she said, Sir, do you remember me? Hannah asked. I'm the very woman who stood here several years ago praying to the Lord. I asked the Lord to give me this boy and he's granted my request. Now I am giving him to the Lord and he will belong to the Lord. Everybody say belong to the Lord. He will belong to the Lord his whole life and they worship the Lord there. You know, in parenting or the things that God has given us to do, but in parenting so many times, we can get so busy. There's so many good things that we can be doing with our kids and for our kids. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't do those things, but sometimes in the busyness of doing all the good things for them, we forget what's best for them. And as parents, as moms, sometimes God has to remind us, as dads, he has to remind us that, that the thing that he's called us to do is to re reveal to them God's plan, to introduce them to his plan. If you're taking notes, number three is this, to the mom who needs to be reminded, you are called to show your children God's purpose for their life. 
A lot of times they won't find that on their own. And God's entrusted you with such a great thing. Even, yes, with your imperfections. Even, yes, with your own issues. Even, yes, with feeling inadequate or unqualified. Man, I mean, anybody that's a parent has felt that moms or dads have felt that, I'm sure, at one time or another, that you're just not, you're just not good enough. You, know, you just don't know enough. You're just too broken. You're too big of a mess. And yet God's entrusted you with this little person here, with this person that grows up, and he's entrusted you with them, that I just want to remind you that the assignment that you have is a great assignment. It's a great assignment that God has given you. And that is to introduce them to God's purpose for their life. Don't get so busy and don't get so distracted doing all of the good things for them that you lose sight of the best thing for them. Never, let, never sacrifice the best for the good. Always pursue the best first. And so... In this parenting that, you know, at first, man, you can be so excited, but then just like with everything else, routine sets in, distractions set in, busyness sets in, that all of these things take place that sometimes we have to step back from our world and look and remind ourselves of what God has called us to do and what he's given us to do. It is a sacred calling. It is a high calling. And yes, God knows you're imperfect. He knew that before he trusted you this baby. The enemy wants to disqualify us from everything that God has. He'll try to disqualify you as a parent if he can. But he's entrusted you with that child. And your forever assignment is to continually be the one voice in their life that if they can't discover on their own, and usually they can't, they need that voice that will speak into their world. And the person knows, hearing that voice, that you love them to remind them that God has something for them. It's one of the greatest callings that you as a mother can have. It's the greatest calling to introduce that to your children and reveal to them. So number three is this. To the mom who needs to be reminded, you're called to show your children God's purpose for their life. It's no small thing. It's a great honor that God gives that to you, and he trusts you with that. Embrace it. I want you to do this. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes for just a minute. I want us to just spend a moment with God and and I want to pray for you. I want to pray in my prayer here in just a minute for any of you that that first point speaks to you. That you feel like you're having to do this alone. Or, or maybe even not, maybe not completely, but a lot of it is on you. And it can be wearisome, discouraging. You feel like a failure, inadequate. All, all those thoughts that can come to you when, when you have such a great task and you feel like it's all on you. You're not alone. You may feel like Hagar's name implies forsaken, but you're not. He's the God that sees you. And for any of you that have experienced a loss, that's, the pain of it is still there with you today. For some of you, Mother's Day today could be painful because it may be the first Mother's Day you've had without your mom. I get that. I'm in my 13th, and it's still, my heart still aches on this day. For some of you, maybe it's painful because of your mom's brokenness when you were growing up, that the relationship that you longed to have, that you saw others have, that it wasn't there. And that feels like a loss. Maybe you've lost a child can't imagine a pain greater than that. But 
even in your pain, even in your loss, God's, God's not finished with your life. Who would have thought Naomi when she lost all of those that she would ever be a part of redemption's story? That God's plan for her was, was that you're going to be a part of the redemption of humanity because I'm not through with you. Even in our pain that his presence carries us to purpose. And then lastly, just to all the, all the moms, all of us, every person here, but to the moms first, to just remind you of the highest calling God has for you. Father, I come to you in the name of Jesus, and I just pray for any mom in here today that feels alone, that feels like they're doing this on their own, I ask you, Jesus, to just help them. Let your presence show up in their world and reveal to them that you are the God that sees them. That for whatever reason, that was a revelation to Hagar that day. Alone, out in the wilderness, pregnant by herself. Feeling abandoned. Feeling taken advantage of. Not cared for. And you showed up and you revealed your character and let her know, I see you. I pray that today, that any mom that feels that way, any person that feels that way today, that your presence would reassure them. And Father, I pray for any of the moms in here today that have experienced loss. And Lord, sometimes we can be so consumed by the pain that that loss brings that it feels like life is over. We don't know where to go from here, how to respond, what to do. But I pray that the God of peace, that the Comforter, the Holy Spirit, would show up and begin to minister to that place in their heart that aches, that feels empty, like something's missing. I pray that you would just restore them comfort them, reveal to them that you have things to do for them, more, more for them to do, and that their story's not over. And lastly, Father, for all the moms in here, they would be stirred up and reminded and embrace again this great high calling that you've given them to introduce their children to the plans and purposes of God, to be that voice that reminds them, that introduces them, that shows them God's hand in his place for them. And I thank you for that in the name of Jesus. One last thing, man, with heads bowed and eyes closed. If, if you're here today, if you've never received Jesus as your Savior, you've never made him the Lord of your life, you want to do, it, do that, I, I want to pray for you. What a great day, Mother's Day, that would be to, for you to do that, to give your life to Jesus. So if that's you, if you've never given your life to him, never received him as your savior and said, Jesus, my life is yours, receive the forgiveness that he offers and the fact that he comes and lives on the inside. If you've never done that, you want to do that, I want to pray for you. Second of all, if you're here and you say, Rick, I've done that, but honestly, man, I've gotten off track. I'm not where I need to be. Can I get back to the place that I was? Absolutely, you can. You say, well, how do you know? Because I've been you. I've gotten off track before, too. I know what that's like. So if that's you, I want to pray for you you recommit your life to him and then lastly if you're here and you say you know sometimes 
I, I think I'm saved, but other times I struggle with what if I'm not, and I wish I could just be certain. I wish I could be sure. Well, I think you can, and I want that for you. So for any one of those things, whether to give your life to Jesus for the very first time, or to recommit your life to him, or to leave here knowing that you're his, if that's you on any one of those three things, I want to pray for you today with heads bowed and eyes closed, just so I know who I'm praying for. Just so I know I'm praying for, if that's you, would you raise your hand and hold it up there real high and just let me know, yeah, that's me. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, see those hands, yeah. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Thank you back there, yeah. Who else? Who else? Awesome. Well, I want to pray for you. Father, I come to you in the name of Jesus. And I pray for each person that's raised their hand, Lord, their lives, are they're, they're, they're wanting to give them to you. And Jesus, if this is their first time, I pray that you would just come and live on the inside of them. Make them a new creature in Christ where old things are passed away and all things become new. And Father, if they're recommitting their life, I pray that you would restore the joy of their salvation. That they would leave her feeling reconnected, uh, recommitted to your plans and your purposes. No shame, no guilt, no condemnation for either forgiven. And lastly, Father, for those that struggle with them, I really say that when they leave here, that they would know their years not because they feel like it or act like it, because there are days I don't feel like it, and there's certainly days I don't act like it. But their confidence would not be in how good they feel or how good they are. Their confidence would be that you said whoever calls on Jesus will be saved. So our confidence is not in how good we feel or how good we are. It's in what Jesus has done for us and what you promised, and that's enough. And so we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Now, look, I prayed for you, and that's good, but because God wants a relationship with you where you and him are talking, I want to lead you in a prayer. And so I'm, I'm going I'm to ask you to repeat after me if you raise your hand and to be passionate and bold and not hindered or intimidated as you talk to God, as you express this to God. And because we're for you, you're not in this alone, I'm going to ask everybody in here to repeat after me. But if you raise your hand, you make this yours. Let's all say this. Say, Dear God, thank you for Jesus. Jesus. Be Lord of my life. I surrender my will to yours. I receive you as my Savior. Now, thank you for dying on the cross for all my sins. And I believe with all my heart that you were raised from the dead so I could be forgiven. I call upon you now. And ask you to forgive me and to live in me. And I thank you for forgiving me and saving me and loving me. I'm yours. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's give them a hand. Isn't that awesome?